This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you for joining us once again on a pre-record coming to you a few days before. And it is my absolute honor to have Peter Navarro with us. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Good thank to be you. with you in these uh, times of trouble and turmoil. Um, this book I've got out, Taking Back Trump's America, really for me, it's not just a book, it's a mission. When I was in the White House with the president for four years, we had uh, a beautiful economy. We had low inflation. We had security on our southern border. And nationally, internationally, we had China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea um, locked up in a tight little box. Um, since Joe Biden's come in, Joe Biden's America is just the opposite of that. So I'm focused, very focused on um, the political process now, taking back our Congress in, no, in the November elections and then getting Trump back in the White House in 2024. So the Taking Back Trump's America book really is is about that, um, at least the second half of that. Well, I want to I want to go into that the book taking back Trump's America: Why We Lost the White House and Now We'll Win It Back. And I've had the pleasure of listening to that on audiobook. So, Peter, I feel oh, as though I've got I've got to know you. I've had you speaking to me yeah. each day. Well, what just, yeah. can I ask you? What that was like that process of turning it into an audiobook and actually speaking it. Uh, well, it was seamless because um, here's a, a secret of the trade. I actually dictate um, everything I write now, um, at least in, in first draft. Um, so I, I've been doing that. My The whole style of the book uh, that I write is, is, is to speak directly to people as if I'm talking with them uh, rather than, than writing some academic tome that that uh, is indirect so i've got a little uh recording studio bundled up with foam and you just grind it out and um it's a it's a long process but it is what it is so i think it also makes it more authentic because i've listened to many audio books but it's not the author so it was actually yeah. felt as though you were telling the story so thank you for taking the time because i do think it adds authenticity to it well, one of the fun things about it too that I that I did I uh, started doing with my last book um, in Trump time and this book taking back Trump's America is have uh, guests <laughs> pop up and appear and record their own parts. So we've got Steve Bannon in it, we've got Corey Lewandowski, um, we've got President Trump and others, um, and I think that adds. Um, I mean, as a production. Uh, I think it's it's probably one of the most interesting yeah. productions you, you're going to get uh, because it does mix things up a bit like that. So thanks. Uh, thanks for listening. No, do you listen to it on regular speed or do you speed it up? <laughs> no, I, I, I actually I always listen to books on one point one. So it's only slightly speeded up. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, can I, I um, you? 
obviously your background is economics, finance. Uh, I think it was the FT. They called yeah. you a firebrand economist and an economic nationalist. I guess that was meant to be an attack on you, but I think it's probably quite positive and quite true. The uh, one of the I think one of the contributions of the Taking Back Trump's America book, um, not just for Americans reading it, but people around the world, is to understand what populist economic nationalism means yeah. uh, within the context of, of of Trump economics. I mean, it's it's quite simple. Uh, populist economic nationalism is to put the the people of your own country first. Uh, particularly the workers, and the goal is simply to craft good policies that create prosperity and security. So what distinguishes the Make America Great movement of Trump, as I explained in Taking Back Trump's America, is we, we do not support endless wars as traditional Republicans and the Democrats have done. We want an end to endless wars. We do not support open borders like the uh, Democrats and traditional Republicans have done because they take a lot of money from multinational corporations that love to offshore our jobs um, and, or, or, or import <clears throat> cheap labor across from Mexico and the South uh, into the country. And we support the f fair trade. We'll, we'll, we'll trade with anybody, but the rules have to be fair. And that, that's who we are. Um, and it's astonishing that that meets uh, with so much resistance in the media, the corporate media, when in fact it's really the values of probably well over two-thirds or more um, of the people of, of America. And I, I think, look, I, you're, you're across the pond there in Great Britain now. I think that, that the Brexit movement uh, was very much of that ilk. I mean, you have... Um, as as part of being in the EU, by definition, open borders, and you had immigrants coming into um, Great Britain that would effectively destroy communities, working class communities. Um, they just would just just overwhelm these communities, and and people didn't like that, and they shouldn't because they were not better off. So um, there it is. And uh, you know, my, my mission in the Taking Back Trump's America book really is to restore populist economic nationalism um, to the highest levels of government in this country. And I think the November election is going to be very interesting uh, because uh, I think there'll be a seismic shift there. There was at one point in the summer where the media was trying to convince us otherwise but with the economy as bad as it is people are going to vote their pocketbooks and when they vote their pocketbooks they're not voting democrat oh, absolutely um can, can i just let our viewers know that um the your hash your your hashtag your handle is there on getter real p navarro and peter navarro.com the book is available in any way I listen to it. You can get it as a download on Kindle, as a as a actual paper copy. Um, so it's available any way you like, yeah. so you can get a hold yeah. of it. Wherever yeah. you are, I got it in the UK and it's published in the States. But um, can I ask you, you, you obviously became Trump's 
trade guy, as head of the National Trade Council. Uh, but yeah. your book gives an insight into that clash between Trump's America First policy and the rhino globalist status quo. Tell us about that clash, which is a sure. thread throughout the book. Sure. Uh, the um, one of the, the the first part of the book goes back to the beginning. I'm actually Peter, one of only three senior White House advisors who was with the president from the campaign in 2016 all the way to the end. And I think if if you had bet on that in 2016 as, as to who would survive, um, the betting money was I wouldn't have lasted two weeks, and, and they did try to push me out. But the, um, the, the teaching point of the book, which is a cautionary tale for anyone trying to, to run a White House um, or a government, is the old Reagan admonition that personnel is policy, meaning that if you're a, a leader, you know, the Tory leader or the U.S. president, you need people serving your administration who are going to reflect your agenda and your policies. If you don't do that, bad things happen. And then taking back Trump's America, I refine the Reagan axiom into bad personnel. Is not just bad policy, but bad politics. And we surrounded ourselves in, in the West Wing and in the cabinet agencies just with too many people who did not support the Trump agenda. And of course, the obvious question is, how did that happen? And I explained in Taking Back Trump's America that the original sin of the administration, the day after the election in 2016, the decision was made to bring in the traditional wing of the Republican Party under the tent, under the assumption that we would need the experience and numbers of those folks, Bush, Cheney, McConnell, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, those, that, that strain, that virulent strain of rhino Republicanism inside the tent. It was, a, it was a gross miscalculation. We thought they would be loyal both to the president and his agenda, and they were loyal to neither. And so we had um, just um, just all sorts of opposition from within. I remember there's a great story in taking back Trump's America about sitting in the iconic Roosevelt Room in the West Wing of the White House with President Trump. He's a one. He's across from me at the at the big table there, and um, we had uh, all of the cabinet there and the. Um, West Wing top brass, as it were, and and the president was pissed. It's early 2017. Our trade agenda is stalled. He's wondering why. We go around the room. We get to the end, and uh, he discovers at the end there's only two people in the room who actually support his policy. It's me and him. It's like his eyebrows go up. He looks around. There's like an epiphany there. It's like, wow, I got some issues here. And, um, you know, we were able to deal with those issues and he got more done on these issues than anybody, particularly on China, things like steel and aluminum. But um, the, uh, it, the, the, the sappers from within were able to slow us down and then also force us to leave some good stuff on the table. And, and the, that would that's that's what happened. the The bad personnel made that election close enough to steal. It went from an election that could have and should have been a landslide to one 
it was close enough to steal because the president had, in many cases, the wrong people around him. And yeah, look, and I'll name names. He's like Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin. If he hadn't been there, him alone, just him alone, I think the president would still be in the Oval Office. But then you had the three generals and McMaster as the National Security Advisor, Mattis as Secretary of Defense, John Kelly as the Chief of Staff. Um, generals who disobeyed their commander-in-chief in the chain of command. I mean, you can't make that up. Yeah. And they'd be in the brig if anybody below them ever did that. Um, you had the Wall Street transactionalists, Mnuchin, as I said, Cudlow, Gary Cohn at Goldman Sachs. Um, you had um, uh, just all sorts of issues. You know, Rex Tillerson at Exxon. I mean, all these people... Um, except inexplicably Mnuchin eventually got fired for their insubordination or incompetence or both. Rex Tillerson would be both. Uh, but boy, you know, Bill Barr took a toll. Tillerson took a toll. And it was, you know, it's like, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to run a White House. I think in a second term, none of this would happen. Uh, I'm sure of that, but I thought it was important for history's sake to document what I saw um, to coin the term of uh, Dr. Strangelove, John Bolton, in the rooms where all this happened. Um, you talk about going in and really being up against it. You, I guess, were a maverick. You're uh, a lecturer. You've written many books on finance, investing. You weren't kind of in the Republican mold. Um, and I think your chapter, um, which is chapter 12, Where's My Peter Battle Cry and Oval Office Resurrection. Yeah. And yeah. you talk about that point yeah. as the point where you could stamp your authority and be part of that administration. Yeah, well, um, it, in the beginning, uh, right, right as the administration began, it, it, they did their very best to bury me. Uh, they demoted me, uh, sucked me off uh, across the street from the West Wing without an office, tried to humiliate me, kept me out of staff meetings. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I was the only guy really in there besides Steve Bannon who was on the same page and wavelength as the president. And he knew who I was. He knew I'd served him ably during the campaign. And at one point he goes, where's my Peter? And once he called me in, um, there, there's a great scene in Taking Back Trump's America, how you know, I walk in there and there's, there's all the Wall Street types and, and sitting there, you know, Mnuchin, Gary Cohn, this, that, and the other thing. And, Look at the boss. He asked me, you know, what's going on? And I just tell him flat out, sir, these people around you, they, they, they're not on your page. And within minutes, less than a minute, I'm in into a violent argument with Gary Cohn. Like he's he wants to take me on. And that did not go well for Gary because he was arguing a message that the president knew was wrong and was against what the president wanted to do. So from there, we were able to start getting a lot of good stuff done, but never should have happened. I mean, it's it's just um, personnel is policy. Bad personnel is not just bad policy, but bad politics. That's, that's a key message of the Taking Back Trump's America book. I think 
as a historical document, it's an important one. And I think it'd be useful for anybody, uh, president, governor, whatever it is, or the analogs in the UK, um, to read this book because it really explains the importance of having people not only loyal to you as the leader, but loyal to your agenda. Yeah, no, it was a fascinating insight. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and one, you talk about five strategic failures of the Trump administration. You say the biggest failure was the failure to address China as the biggest threat. Um, tell us about that. Why is that the biggest threat? China, uh, communist China, did be clear when they joined the World Trade Organization in 2001, that was kind of the original sin of the world because um, China proceeded to engage in uh, economic aggression uh, and lawfare, meaning that they, they came in, they got access to everybody's market, but they did not obey the rules of the World Trade Organization as they had promised to do. And they took us apart. They took the UK apart. They took Europe apart. They took just about everywhere apart. They're, they're running roughshod over Latin America and Africa. And uh, what they're doing is, is um, using the ill guys from uh, what they're doing to promote a, a virulent brand of authoritarianism and fascism around the world. And you know, look, their goal is to be the dominant superpower and to uh, effectively uh, own the resources and technology made no bones about going after all of that. I mean, you read China 2025, uh, the blueprint that the Communist Party wished they'd never published publicly. And it's clear they want to take, take us apart and Europe apart and Great Britain apart and Japan apart. It's like, why would you want to do that? So. What we need to do and what President Trump did is fight back, decouple, uh, and um, just stand up for, for what's right. Um, another area, another one of those five was media. And in part eight, you address media. Um, and you put that down as, again, one of the five strategic failures was the inability for the White House comms team to fight back against the information war that you had from the mainstream media. Tell us about that ongoing battle you had with the media. Sure. Sure. Um, so in any White House, um, the the key goal every day of the press corps shop um, is to dominate the daily news cycle in a way which makes your guy appear in a favorable light. Okay. And the, the way you do that is, is push out news of the day about what, whatever it is you've accomplished um, or getting ready to do. And, and if you do that effectively, you will project uh, an image of, of strong, effective, efficient government serving the American people and a president's ratings, job approval will go up. Um, if, on the other hand, um, the other side, and here it was broadly construed, it didn't just include the Democrats, but also CNN, MSNBC, half of Fox News, 
much of the corporate media, um, if they're able to dominate the news cycle uh, with stories which make the president look bad, then then you've lost. So my um, experience in the White House was um, just all, just almost on a daily basis. The press shop got overwhelmed. They were they were outmatched by uh, a massive corporate media effort. And it, it, during the 2020 election cycle, for example, there's a lot of news happening, a lot of good news, but what most of the news was about was about um, how many people were dying from the pandemic and how many cities were burning because of alleged racism. And those two storylines were uh, expressly designed to drag Trump down. You couldn't talk about his successes. You couldn't talk about this, that, and the other thing. Now, I think there's a funny story in Taking Back Trump's America about how, how um, when, when you, after the George Floyd murder, and it was murder, um, the coverage was just totally focused on that, kind of to promote the Trump as a racism theme. But what was interesting, as the city started burning and public opinion writ large started to turn against all of that, you saw CNN and MSNBC, they, they wouldn't show any of that. So on Fox, you had cities burning all the time, CNN, MSNBC. That's like... There's something kind of wrong there, but but here's the bigger point. And, and taking back Trump's America, I, I I point out how Trump is the best counterpuncher in political history. But it what it should not have been his his job to counterpunch every day all by himself. And I think one of the reasons why sometimes he appeared too angry and too defensive by being on the offense because he didn't have enough people backing him up. And, and at the front of that queue was a, a press shop, which, which was feckless. I mean, all four press secretaries we had, none of them rose to the level of competence as some of the press secretaries in, in our nation's history. And, and to take you back Trump's American book, it's kind of cool. I, I kind of go back and, Talk about like Pierre Salinger, who was press secretary for John F. Kennedy. I mean, that guy, he just he he nailed it every day. Um, and there are others that served other presidents, but but we had none of that. And so um, I think one of the big reasons why we lost is because because of that. And, and it ties in with the China, tough on China thing, because what what? Taking back Trump's America, there's a whole chapter on how I failed to get an executive order signed, which would have established a presidential commission to hold China accountable for both the origins of the virus and the cost of the virus to this country. Okay. That was a game changer. Yeah. That that would have, in one signing, shifted the blame for the pandemic from 
President Trump to China. And part of this order would have been an interim report coming out two weeks before the election, which would have documented the trillions of dollars the pandemic had cost us and how to get it back from China, as well as how that thing came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, and may well have been uh, what, what, what we believe it was a bioweapon, either accidentally or intentionally released. I mean, and, and, and I think the reason why the order was not signed by the president speaks to how important it was because yeah. the globalist pro-China sellout to China, Steve Mnuchin's and Larry Kudlow's of that world were, were just out of their minds that something like that could be done because they were, they were afraid it would upset China. I mean, who, <laughs> really? Um, but those are the kind of battles um, I unfortunately had to fight. Um, looking ahead, the book not only gives an overview, but you finished the book um, by taking it back in 2024. So, um, tell us about that, because that's looking forward to look at actually how we can get rid of Sleepy Joe. So tell us what taking it back in 2024 mm -hmm. means. I think um, at this point in time, uh, just around 30 days out from uh, yep. the election in November, uh, it's important to understand that taking back Trump's America begins with taking back the House of Representatives yeah. in 30 days. And the reason here is because, look, there's a chapter in taking back Trump's America, how in 2018, uh, we took our eye off the ball in the West Wing, principally two lunkheads and Johnny DiStefano um, and Bill Stepien, who thought it was smarter to focus more on the Senate than the House races. And what they didn't understand was that given the gavel to Nancy Pelosi in the House would unleash this wave of unconstitutional investigations designed to put Trump in prison or, or impeach him or both. Uh, they didn't understand the, the damage she could do. And so we lost the House very narrowly. It was a winnable race. I, mean, I come from Orange County, California, which in California, it's like a sea of red. Uh, well, it's a it's a island of red in a sea of blue okay. um, with respect to conservatism. And we lost every seat in the in 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 Orange County uh, to um, the Democrats that year. I mean, those seats alone, I mean, that, that, so it never should have happened, but it did. And if we had held on. So the important point is we've got to stop Pelosi from this continued weaponization of Congress's investigatory powers in an unconstitutional way. I mean, for people outside the U.S., it's, you have to understand that Congress can investigate, but they can only do it for legislative purposes. They're not the judiciary. So we have what's called separation of powers, and you can't, as a Congress, build criminal cases against presidents in the executive branch without violating um, the constitutional separation of powers. And it should be obvious why you don't want Congress trying to do that all the time, because if they're trying to do that all the time, you don't have a government. It's just, it becomes, it, th things break down very quickly. Um, so we need to get her out now. Um, and then um, 
And then President Trump needs to and will run on a Make America Great platform that that embraces the kind of populist economic nationalism I delineate and describe in detail in taking back Trump's America. Um, Peter, thank you so much for your time. As I said, I've really enjoyed the book and I know our viewers uh, are fascinated with US politics and with Trump personally. So I know they will certainly want to get a hold of it um, any way they can. So thank you for coming along and sharing some of those snippets from the book. All right. Well, I I look forward, Peter, to uh, perhaps personally meeting you at uh, Bannon's War Room here in D.C. You'll have a warm welcome, I'm sure. And uh, I appreciate the the, the time and um, good luck to you and safe travel, sir. Thank you. Let me just finish off with our viewers. Thank you to our viewers for watching. Thank you for listening. Do make sure and get a hold of the book. Perfect Christmas present. That's what I would suggest. Um, Get a hold of it. And I know you'll have a number of your friends who would enjoy reading that over the Christmas period. So get hold of it now. But thank you so much for tuning in and look forward to seeing you on the next interview. So thank you and goodbye. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofvoke.org. Thank you for listening.